Welcome to The Conversion Show, a podcast that's all about, you guessed it, conversions. Everything that gets you to your goal, whether that's purchase, lead capture, app install, content downloads, chat engagement, or demo requests, we're talking conversions. Hosted by Eric Christensen, CEO and co-founder of leading conversion optimization platform, Just Do Know. On The Conversion Show, Eric sits down with industry-leading marketers, e-commerce growth experts, founders, and entrepreneurs to chat all things conversion marketing. Be sure to follow The Conversion Show podcast to be notified when a new episode goes live. Like what you hear? Leave us some love with a review. And now, here's your host, Eric Christensen. All right, we're kicking off today's Conversion Show with John Gross from Fat Earth Media. They are a Austin-based creative performance marketing agency with a soft spot for mission-driven brands. Uh, welcome to the show, John. Hey, Eric. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk today. So um, before the show here, uh, John and I were kind of wrapping, and what we we thought would be great today is really talk about, you know, how 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 important trust is to conversion, and you know, and how your brand identity and investing in your brand eases those the burden for con convincing someone to purchase. And especially, you know, working with uh, mission-driven brands, there's obviously a natural story to be told there. Um, so, you know, with that, we're, we're welcoming John here. You know, as we introduce the brand and the brand story, we were discussing how it really starts. It's something that, that people first have a experience with a brand probably at the point of you know of marketing offsite and when you think conversion you don't necessarily think brand but in this case you have to be able to trust a brand to be able to buy from them so what's what's your feeling when it comes to conversion and brand the present day and the trends you're seeing yeah i think it's it's something that is isn't really talked about when we hear you know conversion conversations people are usually go right into on-site tactics, move this button, change this color, you know, do this upsell. And those are all, all are, are amazing. And I'm not, I'm not uh, saying that they don't work really well, but often we don't think about brand and the impact that you can have on a customer way before they get to your website. we talked to you, hinted a little bit about admission-driven brands. And I think it's even more important in that particular category. One thing that we see a lot in mission-driven, in quote-unquote mission-driven communities is that um, it feels a little bit greenwashed. You've got this idea that we're going to donate some money to something. We're going to do, we're going to plant a tree. Well, that's not really inherent to your community or it's not really inherent or default to your mission. Then maybe sometimes that rings a little bit false. So for any brand really, um, in order to, to, to really make sure that conversion is something that is always going to be strong for you, I think investing in that brand and investing in that storytelling in an effective way is really important because you can build that trust through the ads, through all these multiple touch points. And then when the customer actually gets to your website, they're not necessarily needing to be sold on who you are, what you do, because they already know that. And I think what we see across the market, and Eric, we were talking a little bit about it, is particularly when it comes to like ad creative in the performance marketing space, you're typically left with one, like one of two options. Either you work with you know, an agency that, that really just focuses on direct response ads, you're going to get very quick and dirty assets. When you look at your ads library, you're going to see a lot of, um, you know, USP testing, but they're just done in a very, you know, very quick way. 
And then the other side, you're working with a big production house and they're, they're going to you know build you a very expensive, but beautiful video, but maybe it doesn't really work in channel. I think there's a huge opportunity to think about performance marketing, to think about direct response advertising and brand, and really think about how it relates to your conversion. And I think each particular company or brand is going to need to calibrate that combination of direct response and brand in a way that really works for them. So take the time to build your funnel, to, to build your asset library in a way that's really comprehensive. So you're going to have upper funnel assets. You're going to, you're going to run some videos. You're still definitely going to rely on UGC, but making sure that that's not an overwhelming or hundred percent of your ads library so that you're not losing that brand awareness. And I think for, for certain types of product categories that could be seen as maybe commoditized, um, you know, that's going to continue to have laws of diminishing returns. And unless you can really own the story and build trust, people are going to look at that product as a commodity. They're going to come to buy it on things that could potentially become a race to the bottom, like price, quality, shipping speed, things like that. But if you've got community, if you've got trust, if you've got brand recognition, you're going to be able to compete on, um, on those factors in a much more effective way. And I think people don't really think about their performance marketing assets as a as a strong indicator of conversion. And I think that you know most most companies should start to invest in brand before they think they need to, right? And so if you're hitting kind of you know um, scraping your your most obvious audiences, if you wait until that really starts to fatigue, you may be a little bit too late to start laying the the fundamentals of that brand awareness approach. So what is that process? If I'm a mission-driven brand, and, and I love what you're saying because you know we talk about conversion copy, and there's so many you know the thing about conversion rate optimization, like like you mentioned, there's thousands of tactics that can be done. So you're not stepping on anyone's toes by saying, hey, we should focus on the brand messaging. Mm -hmm. That's just it's one important aspect to build that first pillar of trust. So. You know, and you mentioned, you know, where do you start by analyzing a brand's mission and the story and, and what are the components of it? Because you have, you know, the product, you have the yeah. people behind it, et cetera. Well, it, it depends on the on the company themselves, right? I think it has to do, you know, where we would start this would really be, you know, talk to the founders. Let's let's find out really where this came from and how they got to where they are. I think it also depends on how the mission impacts impacted the original development of the product. And what I mean by that is like sometimes the mission itself isn't necessarily inherent to the product. So if you're selling cookware and you're donating money back to Feed America for example, that's a really great thing to do, but it's not necessarily like ingrained in the product itself. So then how do you leverage that particular mission? Now if you're selling recycled material, you're selling clothes that are, and I'm using some real examples, if you're selling clothes that are patterned after ocean life. And for the sale of each, each item based on its pattern, you are giving money back to research for that particular animal. Let's, let's say whale sharks, for example, that is much more inherently uh, built into your product. And so the way that you're going to describe that mission is going to be a lot more in the, it's going to be a lot uh, in the, a lot more in the forefront and so I think what different companies need to do is really understand, again, how to calibrate their mission to their product. I've, I've rarely seen or actually never seen a brand be able to just talk about their mission 
without talking about the quality of the product. But when and where and how quickly we get to the mission, I think is really dependent on the product itself and how the mission relates to the product on a more inherent level. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know my brain's like kind of sparking with different, you know, all these different brands I see, I know and see, you know, like, and you're talking about, I'm thinking fails and wins in terms of, you know, you mentioned the whale shark, like to me, what would speak to me as a consumer is an actual dollar figure. You know, someone might say they do something, but if they say we donate, donated $23,420 to this foundation, I would believe them more and, and yeah. want to partake in it. Yeah. What are, what are some of the, the, both the fails that people can avoid and wins that you've seen? Like, yeah. Ideas as they well, the, great. Yeah. The biggest fail to avoid is thinking that you can launch a mediocre product and put a mission around it and think it's going to be very successful. Consumers are getting very clever to that. That's not, you know, a lot, of, I think a lot of people are doing that and thinking that if you can build a product in a commoditized market and just leverage your mission. Like people, we, we, I think people say that they vote with their wallets more often than they do. And you're going to need to develop really good products that people really want. And I think that can help with conversion. That can help with that first acquisition. But that mission really becomes what drives the community and what really drives loyalty. So where we have seen those fails is when you think that you can run ads or build a website or a product around what you give back and have neglected the product itself. Yeah, I hear on that. It's like in any market, you know, the wolves will, will circle around because they see an opportunity to make money and they're going to exploit that. The, you know, obviously the Tom's shoes, the Bomba socks, they've made it to that. Everyone wants to be that, you know, so there might be some, some falsehood behind what they're driving. One, one thought I just had, one thought I had is the word mission can can be generalized in a sense of, you know, uh, for example, example, uh, Solly from Bomb Tech was on just the mm -hmm. yesterday and um, it's fresh in my mind talking about Solly. Uh, his mission was to build the best driver for golf. Now, when I hear, you know, you have a soft spot for mission driven brands, I'm thinking doing good, like there's a good cause behind it. Mm -hmm. Can you, would you consider a mission, a cause for someone trying to build the best product for their customers? Or is that a different, would you put them in the same? In this context, I think they're different. I think when we, when we interview potential clients, um, you know, we take all that into consideration and people who are trying to actually accomplish something important in their vertical, we do consider that to be very noble. Right. And so I would say Sully um, from bomb tech, like trying to actually accomplish that as a really great goal. I think it's a little bit different when we say mission driven, we're talking a little bit more about some type of philanthropic or environmental impact that, that goes a little bit beyond just the bottom line. Um, but you know, we, we don't work with, with, with just mission driven companies. And I think like what you see is what, what and we talk about the wins part of this and what you see crossover from someone like Sully and then a brand who maybe has a, a little bit more of an environmental type of mission, for example, is the passion for the end goal. And I think like that is something that you can really build a brand and vision around. And so if you've got that and you've got a founding team who believes in the outcome, right? I think that is probably the most important thing. And that allows you to have vision. It allows you to have passion. 
It allows you to get people rallied around you, not only internally, but also your customers. And I'm sure Sully, I don't know his brand that well. I am familiar with it uh, peripherally, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who have bought three, four, five, six, seven generations of his products because he actually is trying to build the best golf equipment and they can get behind that and they continue to invest their money because he knows what, because they know what he's trying to do is actually impactful to their, you know, I would say hobby, but the golf community would probably roast me and say it's more of a, of a lifestyle. Well, you, you mentioned passion and that is what really, I think comes out in, in stories and, and what speaks to people. They see that someone is passionate behind something, whether it's building the best golf club or whether it's saving the whale sharks. How do you go about, you know, it's probably part of your calibrating the mission. How do you go about taking that passion and, and creating conversion copy that, that works? Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, from a, from a tactical perspective, you know, if there's someone internally at a, at a, at a company who is passionate, interview them, talk to them, see how they speak, right? They are in a lot of times when they are a mission-driven founder, or, or, you know, in this case, I am talking about some the Sully's or the, the folks who are environmentally um, conscious, talk to that person. If they're not full of it and they actually built this product in a way that is passionate, you're going to get all the conversion copy that you need. So record that, write those things down, catalog them and start to test through them and find where their passion lines up with things like product reviews, right? We often go and look at Amazon and say, give me the, you know, the five-star reviews and the one-star reviews and find where those product um, efficiencies or deficiencies line up with the passions of the creator of the product. And then the passions of the, maybe the, the VIP or the most common purchasers, your subscriber base, your, your multi-touch, per, your, your customers who have bought multiple times, they are going to be passionate about the product, often in ways that you didn't necessarily understand, but almost always within buckets and within conceptual um, you know, ideas that you have thought about. And so I think like, you know, as I, I don't know if we want to go too far to the agency side, but like most agencies, um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of conflict between agencies and brands and it doesn't really need to be that way. And I think one of the reasons is that like agencies, they think that they know everything and they don't build space and time to bring their brand partners in and have these, these, these conversations, the onboarding process with, you know, for most of these projects is 30 minutes. Like that's crazy, right? You've got this person who just spent their entire life, you know, uh, building a business around golf clubs. I should be talking to Sully, for example, once a month and asking what he's seeing, what he's doing, what he's hearing. And we're never going to get to the good stuff in the little quick or the, the deeper wins if we're not really paying attention. And I think, you know, Sully needs to be, I'm just using him as an example, needs to be paying attention to his customer and as an agency or someone who's writing conversion copy or building assets, we need to be paying attention to that founder because they're going to see things that, that we as advertisers don't necessarily see because I mean, how could we, right? We we've, We've been involved with these products and these brands for a year or two, but this is their life. And I think that's where you can really find some really amazing things to rally around. When we talk about, you know, hearing what you're, you're saying, like when you invest into a brand as a company, you, what it really is, is you're investing in your customers. You're, you're, you're trying to understand the, what it is that they relate to your business. And in Sally's case, we mentioned like once a month, he he was constantly talking to his customers to get feedback, to figure out 
how they can make the brand better. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, part of that, that storyline is what we were talking about is you're, if you have figured out the story and you, it's not just a story, it's a, it's a lifestyle of your brand. Is your brand engaged? You know, and in the case of mission driven, they're engaged in, you know, let's say saving the whale sharks. Are you then saying, okay, if that's it, we're actually going out and, and incorporating what goes into saving the whale sharks into that brand story? Again, kind of going back to where the mission, how how inherently related it is to the particular product. I think absolutely when you have a mission-driven product, you should be leveraging your your all of your communications to do more education and to continue to build that community. Because those are the people who end up being massive word of mouth supporters and ambassadors for you. There's going to be for every brand, some percentage of your, of your community who wants to get involved on a deeper level. We, you know, I think not everybody, right. It's not going to be a huge percentage of people. And if we build for this particular client, you know, we have actually, they have built some really in-depth, like scientific research in these flows and Clavio that go really deep. Now we give most people the opportunity to opt out of that because a lot of people do just want these leggings that look cool. Right. And they don't actually want to know about the Latin name and the, you know, all, all these kind of crazy things, but there are a group of people who do. And in listening to those folks, giving them the type of information that they want and allowing them to be educated and, you know, be ambassadors for your brand in a way that is more meaningful can have huge impacts because all of a sudden now, instead of just us talking about it, there's a lot of other people speaking about it. And I think by giving people that, that, that second level of information can be really, really helpful for mission-driven companies. You had mentioned uh, user-generated content earlier as one example when we were talking to me, what you're, you know, this word of mouth, you know, something to talk about how, how, what's your viewpoint and approach to user generated content? I mean, I could go on, we could use the rest of the time. So look, I think it's, I think it's awesome. Right. I mean, I'd be, I'd be crazy if I didn't think that user generated content is incredibly effective. I think if not done properly, it can actually dilute your brand quite quickly um, and again, depending on the type of product, there are things that you can do even just from the aesthetic side to make sure that, you know, you are branding it. Some UGC is most appropriate, just run totally raw. Some UGC should be edited. They're going to be art cards, transitions. You know, we actually, for a lot of our clients, build like motion graphics libraries that we can add onto UGC. And the reason I'm talking about that is because if you have an ads library, for example, that's nothing but UGC, you're going to miss this brand awareness piece. How do you, you know? how do you do that at scale? Sorry to interrupt, but that you just sparked something. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe not every asset is gonna be is gonna be edited, but if you think about the full funnel of your ads and you think about the full, you know, uh, view of what your ads library or your you know your content library looks like, having some of those UGC assets have some branded elements in them is very effective for in, improving your brand awareness. So, if you think about different types of product categories, beauty, I think, is a good example where you know you're just using a product really quickly and people are like oh I really love the output that that has you hop on the website and you buy it you know what what experience did you have with that brand versus just with the product and so I think that there are things that you can do for and again I, I think it really comes down to calibration like something you hear me talk about a lot is this is different for everybody where you land on the spectrum it's not appropriate for every company to have the exact same approach if you have an Amazon presence and a retail presence and an online presence you're, um, 
your necessity to focus on brand should be higher than somebody who is drop shipping or just doing a single SKU online, right? And so there's different considerations, but taking a percentage of your UGC and making sure that it tells the brand story is is awesome. You're still getting that credibility from the, the from the third party creator, and you're leveraging it to actually, you know, to to get your brand across. Are there and are there any tools you might recommend for the audience for what you just described and to, to kind of editing your your UGC? You know, I think it's a great question. I think the better question is around like what is the methodology and the process for ensuring that it gets done well. I'm a little less gung-ho on like tools for that and more gung-ho on building the strategy up front to understand like what you want to accomplish with your UGC. You know what I mean? And so I think like our designers are using, you know, Adobe and different software that the the standard kind of um, the standard editing for, for video photos. Uh, But in terms of, in terms of getting it, I mean, we like um, Lamanu is great. We also like Billow, but I think having, you know, the brands that have good relationships with creators are the ones that are able to do that at scale. I just feel like we're, we're just so early on with UGC and leveraging it. Um, Yeah. I think another thing too, that brands overlook is like, I hear, we audit a lot of, a lot of accounts. I audit a lot of creative and I see like UGC always talked about as a singular bucket. Right. And it's, it's, it's often overlooked as something that we really need to analyze. And I go into, into ad accounts routinely and you see wildly varying results from UGC assets. And I think it's because people think about UGC, again, as like a bucket that is, that is all-encompassing. And I think there's, there's a few brands, there's a few agencies out there really taking a deeper look at that content. And if you start to think about you know, the, the safe listing or the white listing strategies, there's so much that you can uncover from not only the, the creator's avatar who you're pulling into your account, but also the the type of content that they're producing, right? There was a period of time where we were working with a cookware company and we were getting tons of UGC for them. And we kept seeing wildly varying results. But when we brought our creative team into the ad account and really started reviewing all the UGC assets with them on a weekly or, or biweekly basis, they were quickly able to describe and to define what it was about the UGC assets that were working so well. And when you say that out loud, it sounds obvious. Like, of course, you've got to analyze it. But I see people just lump UGC into a bucket and they say it works or it doesn't. Yeah. But there's the reality is there's so much nuance between one UGC video and the next. And you can test through so many different variables, messaging propositions, you know, creator demos, personalities, and things like that. And I see a lot of brands give up quickly on UGC because they run three creators. The creators didn't resonate with their audience and they move on. I think that's kind of a shame. Like you would never do that with a branded asset. You continue to test. And I think UGC is a place where if you're a brand listening to this and you haven't really thoroughly um, analyzed and articulated what works about your UGC, I think that's something you could go into your ad account right now and make a huge impact. And then once you're able to succinctly you know, describe what works, well, guess what? It makes it a whole lot easier to go out and get more of it. You can build a brief, you can send it out. And you can give people general guidelines on what to create for you. Well, and and clarifying UGC, are we are you tying in influencers to this? Are we talking about actual customers and UGC? Are we talking, you know, a combination of 
of not just, you know, TikTok or Instagram? Are we talking reviews? What, what, yeah, it could be, I mean, you define it? I mean, I, in, in this context, I was really thinking about, um, like, you know, video content that our, that our customers or influencers are creating for us. Um, I, I really, I really like that. I think, you know, reviews are obviously huge and we need to be getting, getting that, that, that credibility of good reviews on a website. I, I think it was spoken about earlier on the podcast as well, but you go to a website with no reviews, um, you know, you're, you're wondering what's going on. I think that UGC can be incredibly important. Um, and it's something that really needs to be automated. And then are you, uh, so understanding all the way through, you're suggesting you take, let's say five solid pieces of user generated content and splice that together as a brand creative with your own, um, branded kind of transitions. Yeah, I think absolutely. Okay. It's a very effective format type. Like you don't, you know, I, I want to be clear, like if you get a good piece of UGC and it's appropriate to run in its raw format, by all means do so. I don't think you need to stop there though. You can take yeah. multiple UGC assets and cut them into the storyboard that you want to see. And you can also cut in branded, you know, transitions and motion graphics elements into those in order to accomplish both. You're accomplishing the third-party credibility and you're getting brand awareness from it and you're controlling the story. So there's a lot you can do with UGC. I think it's a much more complex and comprehensive content type than most people think of. Well, it's one of those things as we talk about continuity from offsite marketing to onsite marketing, that's content that can live offsite and live onsite, especially as those visitors are clicking through on any, from any channel, whether it's a landing page, whether it's a, a banner, a, a pop-up, whether it's embedded into the site, it's carrying that experience through and, and that story all the way in. Yeah, exactly. That's sweet. I, you know, again, there's so many channels and so many like strategies. That's one right there that I think uh, users can kind of take away um, and learn from. The, you know, I, I just mentioned kind of the on-site experience, you know, bringing this story through. Are, you know, as you work through this, this mission-driven branding exercise with clients and, and creating these, these off-site assets, when, how are you, how are you challenging your clients to, to not just use it in one, one channel? Are you working with them to kind of help tell that story on their website to their customers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, uh, the storytelling on the website is something that's often overlooked, but is routine. It's sometimes the easiest thing to adjust, right? Even just like hero images or hero, or hero text. It's often I find like when, when a site isn't converting that well, that messaging is sometimes overcomplicated, doesn't get to the point, doesn't just say who we are and what we do. And I think there's a real opportunity to continue to test messaging and creative types through paid media and immediately apply those, those learnings back to landing pages. Those can be done in real optimization or A-B tests, but it can give you a real framework or real structure and a quicker way to, to, to move the needle on those, those copy tests. You mentioned earlier about agencies working with clients and only talking to them for like 30 minutes. You know, as we look at growing a sustainable business, it is this holistic approach of like, look, it's not just offsite. And then whatever happens onsite is onsite. It's, it's, it's one in the same. It's like this messaging offsite needs to carry over to the onsite. And then the, the third component of, of lifecycle marketing is 
once once you either capture that email or the close the sale, you have to follow through on the product being quality, the shipping experience being positive, the customer service experience being positive, because it, it's all tied together in the customer experience. Yeah. And so I mean, you're kidding. You're, you're hitting at something that I think is a is a shift in mindset that the DTC industry is going to need to embrace. I'll give you an example. Like people often ask me, what did, what did our place do so well? What did Magic Spoon do so well? What is Graza doing so well today? And the answer is like, it's simple. It's, it's, it's kind of cheesy, but they're doing everything well. They understand their traffic. They understand their conversion. They understand their LTV. They understand where across that funnel, they actually have limiting factors and they know how to deploy tactics, strategies, and resources against those limiting factors to continue to improve. And I think for brands who have thought of Facebook as a business model and have never really focused on conversion or LTV, they struggled when iOS 14.5 hit. Like it was a, it was a big deal, right? And I'm not saying that every brand, that's, there's a lot of differences out there, but the brands who are really embracing the fundamental approach to marketing are the ones that are seeing the best results. Right. And it's, it's, it's not that each, any of these individual channels can be done in a silo anymore. And if you're continuing to spend a lot of money without thinking about your conversion, your on site conversion, then it, it's silly. And I think, like, you know, as, a, as an agency partner, just as anecdotally, like we have had trouble convincing people, brands, that they need to invest in certain areas of their business. And it always makes me scratch my head a little bit when you're spending $100,000 on Facebook ads per month but you wouldn't want to invest a significant amount of money in fixing your website, right? Same thing with LTV. Like your, your list, <laughs> your, your email marketing list is literally a financial asset. If you're not paying to grow it or you're not putting the time and effort into growing it, into nurturing it, into treating it well, you're wasting a massive financial asset and you're on this hamster wheel of acquisition that at some point is going to fatigue and is going to get harder and harder. And those, those earned and owned channels continue to become more and more important. Like we're, we're starting to get our, our clients prepared now for Q4, particularly you know, through the lens of lifecycle marketing. If, you, if you're not really starting to think about that right now, like your list growth, your acquisition, your, your pop-up acquisition, um, your, your campaign planning, really your segmentation. Like we see a lot of brands get to Q4 they try to do a bunch of blasts while well, they, they've really kind of not really treated their list correctly all year. And now the impact of those promos is, has been limited. It comes down to audience. comes down to audience. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And the segments, just as email marketing is, you know, focused on and has been building that email automation component with segments, with lists, we're, we're just now introducing that to the on-site visitor, you know, yeah. starting to build that. The, uh, you know, I've been I've been in the conversion space for uh, 15 plus years, and I think the best answer to what you were describing there is is that if you're at a if you're at a dinner with friends or a happy hour or whatever, it, what's sexier to say? Hey, I spent a hundred grand on Facebook ads last month, or hey, I increased my conversion rate by three percent and made ten thousand extra dollars. I'm totally with you. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh. It's, it's a bit of a flex. You know, I met a guy the other day and he was telling me they just spent $21,000 a day. I was like, okay, I don't know what your MER, I have no idea if this is really working for you or not. And acquiring customers, we've seen a lot of brands get in trouble with a myopic view of acquiring customers um, at all costs. 
And I think that's, that's kind of going away and you're starting to see brands, you know, it's great. I think it's, I think it's really, you know, I think it's a good thing. I think it allows us as agencies to slow down a little bit, to be more methodical, to be more consultative and to say, look, we are not going to necessarily always go after driving um, quick hits of revenue in a way that um, risks your long-term health and your long-term growth. I think you see that a lot where brands are um, maybe partnered with the wrong venture capital folks. I've seen that happen a lot where you've got these arbitrary top-line revenue numbers that you know, by all means you have to hit this month and you start making decisions for the brand that aren't very future-proof. And I think I think we're starting to see a pivot and starting to see people run their businesses in a smarter way. And then can, but continue to leverage these amazing direct-to-consumer and digital tactics that have always worked. I think there's a, you know, I, I think you've you've been a party to these conversations over the last 12, 14 months that D2C is dead, right? And I think that's 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 a bit crazy. I think there's a lot of brands who set themselves up to be in trouble as things get difficult, but the brands who are, have always taken a fundamentally well-run approach, a fundamentally comprehensive and complex approach to their business are doing fine. It might not be, you know, 23 might not be the most exciting year for growth, but the brands who understand the fundamentals and who are doing the things that, you know, just Uno focuses on around conversion and have a, a very well-run business that's thoughtful from first touch to 10th purchase are, are, are doing quite well. John, I think you just summed up where the state of the market is perfectly right there. I mean, with customer acquisition costs where they are. You know, to build a sustainable business, you have to be focused on the customer experience and building a model where your your customers want to do business with you. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think also too, like there's a lot of work to be done in this industry around subscription, specifically like as a strategy. I see a lot of folks like you know they they tell us in audits and things that they have subscription, and when you dig in, really, it's just uh, you know the, the the tech has been implemented. And I think there's so much that brands can be doing around actually marketing and driving results through their subscription base, A-B testing, flows, um, you know, moments of delight, free gifts, really understanding the data, really figuring out when people are dropping off and getting in front of that churn. Subscription landing, you know, talk about landing pages. So many companies out there or, or brands don't even have a dedicated landing page to, to talk to their clients or their customers about why they should subscribe. And there's a lot of products that just inherently aren't actually subscribable. They're, they're, they're better off on a membership or a replenishment scheme yeah. and trying to put them on a 30-day frequency because that's the out-of-the-box you know, mechanism from your tech provider, I think is leaving a massive amount of, of, of revenue on the table. Uh, two weeks ago, I had uh, John Roman from BattleBox mm -hmm. uh, on the yeah. show. And he just announced that he purchased it back. Uh, so he's back in the driver's seat and, you know, he shared a, a tactic that on their checkout page, they had a upsell of a mystery box Yeah, or right out of the gate there. He was able to shoot his AOV up by uh, $49. Uh, and he talked about tactics and he talked about, but I, he, he talked about their business. And I asked him a question that I had read about that I thought was fascinating is, what goes into a box? How do you figure out what to put in the box? And they had this whole customer group that they, they work with to make sure every item in that box is awesome. 
And I was like, well, where's that story? He's like, oh, yeah, we should probably have that. We should probably have it, yeah. <laughs> have that story front and center. I mean, and that's interesting. And like, you know, you know, the, the world of subscription boxes, I think those folks are doing a lot more around subscription strategy and, and really promoting it in a more compli- com- complex and strategic way than the general D2C brand, right? If you go to, I'm just going to pick a category. Like if you're a, a protein bar, for example, and I'm just to, to make it easy, you got 31 bars. I know no one does, but you got 31 bars in your box. The expectation for my customer is that they're going to eat one bar a day. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm expecting them to eat a snack every day. And then it's going to be just my snack. And they, they need it again in 31 days. It's not very thoughtful or not very intentional. So if guys like John Roman from Battlebox, uh, who, who, who I know, by the way, you know, if, if they're missing some strategic aspects and that's really their core business is subscription, imagine how much room there is for improvement for brands who have a product that could be subscribed to, right? So it could be any, anyone in the CPG brand. And there's not, not to say there's not a, tons and tons of thriving subscription businesses, but there's a, there's a real opportunity for folks to get a bit more creative on the marketing side of, you know, why should I subscribe to your product? Yeah. Can, convince me of that first. And then let's build the tech and the mechanisms to fulfill it. Are there any agencies that specialize in that would be a, you know, talk about adding channels and focus of agencies I'm, you yeah. know, in a market that's so young. I remember John was talking about how they're really trying to approach the negative connotation to subscription from what cable's done with Netflix. Like no one wants another subscription service and everyone's trying yeah. to cut them back. So how do we change the view, the, the brand per, perception of subscription services. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're focusing on that a lot of, like very heavily for our for our customers. We've got some tech partners that we're working really closely with to help them, you know, actually develop their phase two strategic approach to to subscription. I think like it has never been looked at like a channel. I think there's a real opportunity for folks to think about subscription as a strategy and as a channel and not as a tech implementation. That maybe sounds obvious yeah. to you and I, but I think the general market at large isn't really thinking about it like that. And there's a lot of implications to all of your marketing channels, email marketing, SMS marketing, paid advertisement, your website that are going to be impacted by the decisions you make with how you set up your subscription, how you market it, what are the frequencies? And then to get even a little bit more complex, like what are we doing with loyalty? How, how is loyalty used as a lever to drive actions? I see it as a huge opportunity for brands talk about conversion to increase conversion without having to do a, a discounted promotion. Your, your third box, you get a special gift. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean, so many things, but think about it too. Like we, there's so many brands that do have very unique communities that we, can we offer things that are a little bit more elevated than just um, monetary value or just free gifts. I love free gifting by the way, oh, but like, huge. let's say you're in the, let's say you're in the, um, you're in the food and beverage space. Are there cooking classes we can offer? Are there certain types of access you can get? You know, maybe maybe that's a little complicated for for most brands. Yeah, but like when you get but, your cooking box, they have access to like how to cook it online with a special. Exactly, it's, it's all about experience. It's, there's a lot of experiential things that we can do. I think with the advent of conversational messaging, SMS, um, a lot of things that Just Uno is doing. There's so many places that we can start to build in these touch points. And give our, you know, our best customers a better experience with our brand. It doesn't just have to be points and tiers. 
You know what I mean? Like there's a lot, there's a lot more out there. Not to say I don't love points and tiers. I think they're great and start where you can start. But over time, think about what does it look like? If someone's buying your product, I don't know, 12 times a year, like what, what can we do with them and for them? Is it safe to say that this industry is still somewhat out of the box? And there's oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I mean, it'll be, it'll be exciting to see what John does. Cause I know he has fresh ideas coming back in and he has the shares the exact same viewpoint that you have is that just like with e-commerce, just like with conversion and everything, we're still early into this market. You know, e-commerce is still new. If you look at the age of retail, everything, it's still, you know, yeah. I don't know where it is. Post very new. You know, so we've been we've been talking to our clients about, you know, especially in the CBG space, what can we do to support your retail? And so we built these strategies around retail support advertising. And it dawned on me one day that like, well, dude, every ad ever has been retail support, right? Until direct to consumer and e-commerce was a thing. Every advertisement that had ever been run in the history of mankind was intention intending to get you to go into into a store and buy something. And so for us in the D2C space, having to kind of unlearn that everything is is just to drive an immediate sale on your website is something that we're, it, it takes some time to really unlearn that that habit or unlearn that learning. But brands who are thinking about, you know, you talk about conversion too, like a lot of times we never really ask like, well, what is conversion? What is that KPI, right? And if you're a, a lot of different types of products who have omni-channel distribution can leverage these really, really effective, amazing digital strategies to drive results that aren't necessarily just a purchase on their website. And I think that's a powerful topic and a powerful conversation, um, especially as ad costs get higher, especially as conversion does get harder. And I think there's a lot of advantages to thinking about going all the way back to creative and the brand. How are you setting up your ad account? How are you setting up your funnel? How are you calibrating your ad spend from brand awareness to you know physical retail support to direct response? How are you leveraging UGC versus branded across all those different elements? How does the website support those additional activities? Is your website shifting over time? Like we've got a client who when we first took them on, they're still using Just Uno, by the way. They were 95% direct consumer. Over time, their product made more sense to be in retail. Now they're in Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Walmart nationwide, and it makes more sense for them to sell on Amazon and retail. But we're still leveraging paid media best practices to support those other channels because that team didn't say, oh, our direct-to-consumer sales are declining. We need to cut all these strategies off. They said, well, our direct-to-consumer sales might be declining. How can we pivot those to support the channels where things are working really well? And are really thinking about that as a, as a much more comprehensive and holistic view. So their conversion on their website may be declining if you only look at it through that perspective, but their business is thriving. And there's no doubt that the paid media that we're driving to their website and then to Amazon or then to store locators is making a real impact on that foot traffic. The store right? locator. So locator, the, you know, yeah. Driving to the brick and mortar. If they want to pick it up that day, you know, communicate all that. There's yeah. John, you have um, such a, a, a well-rounded, broad view of the reality of retail today. I mean, it's it, <laughs> we could talk for for quite some time on this, but however, we we unfortunately do need to 
finish today, I feel like we could do a secondary follow. I want to do a yeah, follow up on subscription. Cause oh yeah, that would be amazing. That would be a fun one. Yeah, hell yeah. Maybe we can get John on too. Uh, let's do a round table. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let's okay, great. Around. Well, hey, John, how can how can our visitors or listeners uh, learn more about Fat Earth? Yeah, check us out. Check our website, fatearth.com, fat-earth.com. Um, you know, we're around. We're, we're pretty plugged into the industry. Check me out on LinkedIn, um, John Gross. Find the things I'm, I'm, I'm talking about there or just reach out. Um, you know, we, we, we like to talk. This is what I do for a living. Um, I love, you know, in, in meetings and audits, just going through and unloading what, what a founder is going through and figuring out tactically what, what we can do or what they can, should be focusing on. Um, often having someone like me come in and take a, a, a look really quickly, just a fresh set of eyes, a new perspective might give you an idea whether we're going to work together or not. That's always helpful. Small industry. A lot of us know each other already. So like, you know, that's no skin off my back to, to provide some value to, to folks. A fresh set of eyes is so valuable. You know, just yeah. low hanging fruit. Well, thanks, John. Really appreciate it. That, that was that was fun stuff. And uh, plenty of new episodes coming down the, the, the pipe here. So please subscribe to the Conversion Show. And I think we'll sign off for today. Thanks so much, John. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate you having me today. All right, later. Bye.